Ooh, the sounds of sweet vibrations. Mm, so sweet they are. I have to say, this is one of my favorite, favorite sex toy companies because one, you have a sweet ass time, but also, I mean, they have so many different options for you. And look how pretty and fun they are. They're bright colors. They do all kinds of exciting things. There's one that goes around your clit in like surround sound. There's one that <laughs> simulates um, cunnilingus. It doesn't vibrate. It kind of blows air. I love these. Also, all of them are waterproof. All of them are rechargeable. They come with a discreet travel case, USB charging cable. I mean, this really is absolutely amazing. Plus, there's a lifetime warranty. So if you're looking to have a sweet time with sweet vibrations... For a long time. For a very long time. Mm-hmm. You can check them out on Instagram at Sweet Vibrations. And online, visit sweetvibes.toys. And we have a little promo code for you. We do. It's wild love. And you get 15% off at checkout. That adds up. Have some fun. Woo. On this episode of True Sex and Wild Love, we sit down with one of Wednesday's really good friends, Dr. Tammy Nelson. I've been a fan of hers for quite some time now, and I know a lot of you guys have heard me talk about her concept of the monogamy continuum. She's a sex therapist, a podcaster, an author, and her new book that just came out is called When You're the One Who Cheats. Now, I know a lot of us have been affected by infidelity in our lives, and so this podcast. We really dive into the next steps, how to heal, how to create a new relationship. What can we do to heal after something like that? Tammy is really funny. She's out there. She's smart. And in my opinion, she definitely got the gold star at Skirt Club that night. And you'll find out why in this episode. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. I am in love with Dr. Tammy Nelson. I'm in love with her too. <laughs> and she's here. It all started on Friday night. <laughs> oh, because that was Skirt Club. But um, not to pull rank on you, but I've been in love with her for longer than <laughs> no, you yeah. have. You totally, you totally pulled I that mean, rank, girl. Okay, I'm going to pull that rank. Because I first learned about Dr. Tammy Nelson when I started researching on True. Mm-hmm. And Everybody said to me, have you interviewed Tammy Nelson? Have you interviewed Tammy Nelson? And like the 10th time, I was like, Jesus Christ, no, but I will. (laughs) So I had heard so much about her that I just thought, how good can she be really? And then I read her book, The New Monogamy. Mm -hmm. And she has a more recent book too called When You're the One Who Cheats. And so this is a woman sitting here with us who really has helped shift the conversation in our culture about monogamy and non-monogamy. I think that sex at dawn and the new monogamy are like such important books about human sexuality and relationship style. So I became obsessed with her and I talked about her on the podcast that I did with you and Aubrey, mm-hmm. and we've spoken about her on this podcast. And now, wahaha, here it she worked. is. We got her here. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I feel like such a rock star. Okay, you are a rock star, and you were a rock star on Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> you, I think, get the gold star of Skirt Club. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've only yeah. been to one, and you've only been to one. But I'm going to go ahead and say it right here: you get the gold star. It was something I really enjoyed seeing. Well, okay, you're making me sound like I was like the wild child there. I I was very reserved. You were quite <laughs> reserved. 
uh, Dr. Tammy Nelson did not misbehave Thank you. at all, but she had a really good time at Skirt Club, which just shows the range of this woman, mm-hmm. <laughs> that she can write the books that she writes. She can help her patients the way she does, and she can cut a rug at Skirt Club. <laughs> I had so much fun. <laughs> God, it's so fun. Okay. I love it. Did you tell us what you felt about Skirt Club? Okay, well, first of all, I went because my dear friend here, Wednesday Martin, who I think has changed the conversation (laughs) about women and sex, mentioned that she was going to be there. I was like, oh, please, 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 can I come? (laughs) (laughs) And you said my least favorite thing that anybody has ever said about Skirt Club because I used to think it too. Do you remember what you said Yes, I said, I think I'm too old to go. I think I aged out. I think there's an age limit. And I think I'm going to be the oldest person there. And I was really nervous. And I must have called you like three times. What do I wear? I don't know what to wear. And uh, but I said to you, I had had that same fear about aging out of Skirt Club because I'm 53. I'm almost 54. And I just thought, oh, I'm not going to be able to go to Skirt Club. They're going to, no. We were there having a good old time. And I think we proved what the sex research is now showing us. I was just talking to Justin LaMiller about the Lumen study of Americans in their 50s and older reporting exponentially higher levels of sexual satisfaction than Americans in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. How old are you? Jump on that train. Mm -hmm. Only gets better. (laughs) Yeah, it's only up from here. It's It's only only up from here. But anyway, of of course we didn't age out of Skirt Club. I didn't feel old. I mean, I felt like I appreciated my age walking into an environment where like all these women were there. There was a range of ages. It was very diverse, people from all different backgrounds. And that was impressive. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Genevieve. I think she's a genius. And what I felt looking at the younger women who sort of clustered in a corner, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> in, like insecure and nervous, yeah. compared to the older women, I was just looking at them going, Oh, ladies, yeah, <laughs> just relax. So mm-hmm. much fun to have with those beautiful bodies in your 20s and 30s. But sometimes the self-confidence doesn't come in until yeah, later. Exactly. And then you think, if I had that body <laughs> with this mind and this bunch of experience, that would be dangerous. It well, set the world on fire. I swear, I felt like, God, I'm so much more secure now with who I am and my sexuality and whatever happens, happens. And and. I remember who I was back then and how I was worried. I was too fat. I was too this. I was too that. I wasn't good enough. You know, I I wish I could take it all back now. But it was really fun to be in that atmosphere and to be also in a marriage with my husband where we have like an open monogamy agreement where he is supportive of anything I want to do because the new monogamy. The new monogamy, baby. So... Okay, I want to I want to circle back to Skirt Club in a minute, but I do want to talk about the new monogamy mm-hmm. because that book blew my mind. Because let me paraphrase it and then you tell me what I get wrong. But Whitney and I have talked about the book before and I, mm-hmm. I talk about it really every podcast that I go on. I talk about the new monogamy. I love you for that. Because the idea is so game-changing. Here's the idea. Let me know if I've got it wrong. Monogamy isn't black and white, that you're monogamous or you're non-monogamous. Dr. Tammy Nelson's contribution is she said, wait a second, there is literally a continuum of monogamy. On this far side of the monogamy continuum might be what we think of as super strict monogamy. 
Don't look at porn. That feels like a betrayal to me. Please don't stare at other men on the street. It feels like you're cheating on me. That's over here. In the middle might be something like, yeah, we're married. We're in it for the long haul. Kind of hurts my feelings a little bit that you're attracted to other people, but I'm dealing with that. And you can watch porn, of course. That's not cheating to me. And then on the other extreme of the monogamy continuum is we're monogamous. Yeah, sure. You can fuck other people, but I'm your primary person and we're primary. And that's monogamy too. Rethinking monogamy as this literal continuum changed everything for me when I was writing on True and when I was thinking about my own life. And when I talk to women who want to know about different relationship styles, a lot of people would say, a lot of people would call what you call the new monogamy consensual non-monogamy, but your emphasis, their, their emphasis on the consensual non and yours is on the monogamy. And so would you say that in monogamy, in your definition, there has to be a primary partner and that's just monogamy? Well, in my definition, see, I don't like the idea that something is non and anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that feels so negative and polarizing. Right. You know, it's like the opposite of something. And my idea is if you're in any kind of a relationship where there's an agreement that's flexible and fluid, you know, monogamy means being married to one person. Now, you don't have to necessarily be married. You can be in a committed partnership, and that can have a lot of, like, fluid and flexible walls to it and a lot of different rooms. But you still have, like, a big house to play in. Mm -hmm. And that sort of open style of monogamy, I think, is the new way that people are married. It's the new way that people commit. It's a new way of having relationship. I think that, you know, Wednesdays talked about relationships from an anthropological and sociological perspective. We're always going to want to be in relationships. Mm -hmm. This is always going to happen. Right. And we're always going to want to have sex. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Somehow, we need to balance those two things. Yeah. And, and I think that women are rising to their, you know, their sexual power and coming into some of their, um, in, into their voice around sexuality. And so as they do that, then monogamy is changing dramatically. So do we even have monogamy, though, today? It's a different kind of monogamy. It's not your grandparents' monogamy. No, absolutely Love not. That. So what about, T-shirt. like— yeah, not your grandparents' monogamy. So I would, I like to say that there is a continuum for monogamy. There's a continuum for open, for poly. Exactly. I, I feel like all of this is on a continuum. And it's like you said, the boundaries are fluid. They're flexible. You come up with your own rules, your own mm-hmm. boundaries, and your own agreements. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I get caught in this point where it's hard for me to even call anything monogamy or Mm -hmm. open Mm -hmm. or poly because they all blend together Mm -hmm. and it's you coming up with your own definition of whatever you're doing. Right. And I feel like sometimes people are so rigid about, no, this is what polyamory is or this is what swinging means or this is what open means. And then we're just doing Mm -hmm. the same thing that people have traditional monogamy And by the way, we never had a working definition, a simple working definition of monogamy in the first place. The, the meaning of monogamy has shifted. There, there are different things. There's social monogamy, which is you commit to one person and your social persona is that you are exclusive. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that you're actually this other thing, which is sexually monogamous, right? Mm-hmm. Which is very exceptional in the mm-hmm. animal kingdom and among human populations. So like 
Monogamy has never been this one simple thing, to your point. Does I, does exclusivity kind of work? Like, could we... It's just like, I feel like it can, there, there can be social exclusivity. There can be sexual exclusivity. Mm-hmm. But then we're at, when we add monogamy onto that, I feel like it changes the definition almost. Can you be emotionally monogamous without being sexually monogamous? Right. Can you be unique to your partner without being exclusive? You know, that's where people get sort of hurt and betrayed. Like, just because mm-hmm. you're not exclusive to me sexually, does that mean I'm not unique in our life? Right. Like the specialness commitment. or and something. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. you talked about two, you, you sort of introduced two ideas that I really love and that Whitney's getting at one of them, which is, um, okay, this idea that monogamy, there are many different flavors of monogamy, mm-hmm. right? And some people will say, yes, my husband is out having sex uh, with his boyfriend, but we're monogamous. Um, and some people would say, absolutely not. Don't look at porn, right? To go back to an example that you use. There's that. And then you introduce this idea that monogamy is, if you want to do it, it's a practice. And that was really God, helpful to that. me. Can you talk about that? Because I think a lot of our listeners would benefit from hearing mm-hmm. you riff on that. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that we think that you make this one-time vow and that's supposed to last like the rest of your life, you know, and that's supposed to like be the umbrella that's going to protect you and your monogamous relationship is satisfied now. That's like saying, you know, I told you I loved you when I married you. So I'll let you know if I change my mind, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I shouldn't have to say it ever again. Right. It's like the seal of protection. Mm-hmm. And I think instead monogamy is like this, it, just like any commitment, it's like this spiritual practice. Like you have to choose it every day. Mm-hmm. Like some days are easier than others. Skirt club days, maybe not so much. But <laughs> <laughs> No, it's like a decision that you make. It's like a choice. And every day you wake up and say, okay, well, today I'm committing to our relationship. And it's not even that you commit to the other person. You commit to the agreement that you make. Yes. It's very hard to commit to another person because they're always going to let you down on some level, always going to change. But you commit to the agreement that you make. So sometimes, you know, the person will let you down or... The choice that you make in the person will disappoint you, but the agreement is the thing that is fluid and can change all the time. And sometimes it's the agreement that people are bummed out about, not so much the other person. Mm -hmm. And they think, oh, I have to trade the other person in because I picked the wrong person. Maybe you just picked the wrong agreement. Mm -hmm. And that can change. That could change. You can change your agreement. How many I think that's women something that, don't know that? Right. And it needs it. to be revisited constantly, right. you know, all of the time. Let's talk about this. Is this working for you? Does this feel good to you now? Is this both serving us in the relationship? Just because you made the vow 10, 20, 5 years ago, it's like, okay, we need let, maintenance. Let's talk about this. As if people don't change, right? Right. Right. We're totally different. And how many totally people have different. the conversation before of the heterosexual couples that I know who are married? Perhaps less than 1% of the ones that I know socially tell me that they had a conversation about monogamy before they got married. It was a given. It was not discussed. It was just the air that they were breathing. It was assumed. Yeah, 10, 15, 20 years later, it could be very hard for people to feel entitled to have a conversation about it. But you're helping them do that. Well, I think we make so many implicit assumptions about our monogamy. We just assume that monogamy means the same thing to me that it means to you. 
Like, of course you're not going to masturbate after we get married because I'm the only one that should touch your penis. Mm-hmm. And if I don't feel like touching your penis, no one's touching your penis. Right. So it's laugh. such a shock when I walk in and you're masturbating to porn. Like, I thought you were going to be done with that. And he says, I've been doing that since I was 10. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's mine. This is not stopping. Right. right. And that's sort of this implicit assumption that people make because they you've never tre- think to talk you've about it. You've treated couples where her idea of monogamy was that he – or his idea of monogamy was that she wouldn't masturbate. And you've come up against that clinically. Yeah. I, that's actually a really common one. Like people really think masturbation is a sexual act that should be – either negated or shared or takes away, somehow it drains the energy from the relationship. And we see that in like sex addiction treatment or mm-hmm. compulsive sexual mm-hmm. acting out that if you, you know, if you do it to the extreme, then perhaps it does interfere with your relationship. So there's a, um, there's a sort of this, you know, uh, fear around any kind of sexuality that's outside of the bedroom. And that's an old traditional fear that you probably have written about Mm -hmm. many times. Um, So when you talk about, you know, people coming up with their own definition of what monogamy is for each person or assuming that, I think that's another segue into, you know, cheating. Like, what is your definition of cheating? What is your definition of infidelity? And that's something that needs to be discussed within a relationship too. Mm-hmm. And you wrote a book about it when you're the one who cheats. And the amazing thing that Tammy did, and it reminds me of a little bit of what Alicia Walker does too, is just like the profound compassion for the person who we think in our country is, you know, on the wrong side of the coin morally, that they have transgressed, that this is a terrible betrayal, that they're a bad person. You're going against the cultural headwinds and saying, wait, no, we need to, let's have some empathy and compassion for both people in a scenario where there was undisclosed non-monogamy. And let's get at why people are stepping out without talking about it. Can you talk about this book a little, how you got into it, your favorite insights, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. things you want to share from the project and what brought you to the project when you're the one who cheats after writing the new monogamy? Well, first of all, Alicia Walker, I did talk to her at length because her and I both used um, Ashley Madison as research. Mm. Ashley Madison, you know, is a website for people who are looking for married people to cheat. Their motto is life is short, have an affair. Which, you know, just fascinating from a cultural perspective. So, isn't it like dating while married or something? Yeah, married people who are looking for other married people to date. And there's like 60 million 60 million members worldwide. Like 20,000 people sign up a month. 20,000 people sign up a month. Come on. Crazy. People are struggling with monogamy. And the same amount of women as men. Yeah, and they had that data breach, and then there was all this PR that, oh, there aren't—didn't you hate that coverage? Oh, there aren't really women on Ashley Madison. And people like you and Alicia Walker and, sorry, I, knew, (laughs) like, yes, there really are women on Ashley Madison, but it's really hard for people to admit it. And they Mm -hmm. so recently, Ernst & Young— went in and did an audit of who actually has been on Ashley Madison. And it turned out that the numbers of women and men were very comparable. Mm-hmm. All right. But I didn't yeah. mean to break your flow, Dr. No. Tammy Nelson. Go on. <laughs> I like your flow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they let me uh, put up two profiles on Ashley Madison. 
Ooh. one is a man and one is a woman. Just for research, like I didn't talk to anyone, I didn't respond to anyone. It was kind of like looking into the fishbowl without swimming with the mm. fish. And I found something really interesting, which was similar to what you found and similar to what Alicia Walker found, that when I was a man on Ashley Madison, and I didn't give my picture, I didn't give any information, I just said I was looking for a woman and that I did not want to end my marriage— and as a woman, I said the same thing. I didn't have a picture. I didn't have any information. I just said I was looking for a man, and I didn't want to end my marriage. And the men responding to me as a woman sent me letters and emails saying they were looking for a relationship, that they didn't want to end their marriage. They were looking for uh, a long-term, connected, emotional responder, mm-hmm. and that they weren't looking for casual sex. They wanted someone that they could text with every day. And when I was a uh, a man— the women were sending me emails with like bikinis and lingerie and boob shots. And they were like, I don't want to hear about your problems. Wow. You can tell your wife your problems. <laughs> yeah. I just want sex. I just want the, and I just want hot Fifty Shades of Grey sex. And Alicia mm-hmm. describes this as these women going on Ashley Madison looking for relationships of pure sexual utility. Exactly. And you have described the men going on Ashley Madison when I wrote about it in Untrue. What you said that I loved was you said – Male, we've really misrepresented male motivation that you saw a lot of men looking for emotion and connection and that they needed that to feel sexual. Okay, you and Alicia, between the two of you and your research, just flipped the cultural narrative Mm -hmm. about why men and women step out. Mm -hmm. And how much resistance have you encountered to your ideas? No one believes that whole thing. They're like, well, that must be wrong. You must have mistaken it. It must be because... (laughs) It must be because the guys are fooling the women into bed. Right. This reminds me of when people say bonobos aren't a female dominant species. There are species where the males let the females think they're in charge. <laughs> it's strategic oh my God. subservience. This is hilarious. And like, how do you like, even come up with that? How do you contort yourself to believe that two sexologists, Dr. Tammy Nelson and Dr. Alicia Walker, got it wrong? How do you convince we're yourself women. of that? If yeah. we were men, it's easier. If we were men, I wonder if the reaction would have been different. Also, you're both blonde. Oh, I know that works against us all the time, <laughs> except at parties. I'm laughing, but <laughs> yeah. I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> laughing but crying. I mean, really, there is something. But there was resistance. Yeah, there, there was, was resistance. And and to be fair, I think look, it's a self-selected population, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of those people already had children. So some they were mostly middle aged. And so it is a narrow range of population where the men feel disconnected from their wives. The women are sick of being caretakers Mm -hmm. and they just want hot sex. They don't want to take care of anybody anymore. Mm -hmm. And the men are like, okay, I need to start feeling stuff. Like Mm. I have been taking care. I've been taking care of everything I'm supposed to take care of my whole life and working to be a human doer Mm -hmm. in all these roles that I've been playing. And now I want to feel some stuff like everybody else does. It's so funny because as you say it, I think about how this was a narrow slice of the population and yet at the same time representative. And I'm thinking about the implications for people listening right now. It's just you aren't who you have been told you are. And Mm -hmm. that's sort of the message of a lot of your work Mm -hmm. that you don't need to accept what you've been told you have to accept you are not the way you've been represented mm-hmm. in the sex research necessarily in the science. Mm-hmm. And um, you have options. Mm-hmm. You're kind of changing those things around. So I just want to get back to the idea of um, how have you 
reacted to resistance to your ideas? Because I think this could be really helpful to listeners too. And to you. (laughs) And to me personally. (laughs) How do we handle the haters? How do you handle them? Like you have gotten a lot of resistance. Your work has been like a seminal breakthrough you know, well, so, so much of what I do is I cross over other people's work, right? Mm-hmm. You and Alicia do the studies, mm-hmm. and then I cross those studies over to mainstream mm-hmm. readers. And I'm pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty, um, I put a lot of energy into it, and I don't spare any effort because I think it's important. And what I get a lot is no matter how, for example, with the idea that uh, in the aggregate women, uh, heterosexual women struggle with monogamy sooner and more than heterosexual men do in the aggregate. There's tremendous resistance to that idea. And it doesn't matter how much data I put out there, Annika Gunn's studies, um, you know, um, um, Kristen Mark's study, uh, Sarah Hunter Murray's study, uh, Cynthia Graham's study, Dietrich Klussmann's studies, studies from Finland, Germany, England, the United States, Canada really well-designed longitudinal studies. That doesn't matter because what people see is you're trying to tell me that men aren't who I was told men are and women aren't who I'm told women are. So I don't care how many studies you put in front of me. Then the next step is generally assailing my credentials. (laughs) So that's usually how it goes if you're a woman crossing over a controversial message. And I presume it's probably how it goes if you're a female researcher from having talked to a lot of female sex researchers and primatologists and anthropologists. (laughs) So resistance is like... I've been in the audience where you've said that and people have immediately raised their hands, all men, and challenged you. All men. I was in the audience with you. You were talking with Chris Ryan the sex at dawn. And you said that, and there was like this big wave of resistance. One of the biggest waves of resistance being Chris himself. I was there for Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a big old talk about it. It's interesting. Yeah. So, um, and he's somebody whose work I admire so much. Um, He and Casilda are, and we disagree about it. But you find, I find, and I don't know if you have to, that, um, it's a dangerous position to be female and crossing over information from experts that challenges people's, not just their worldview, their concept of who they are. Right, exactly. It becomes so personal. So Mm -hmm. I think that's why the attacks become personal. People really feel personally attacked by that data. Mm -hmm. Um, What's your end run for it? And and how's it going with, um, you're the one who, when you're the one who cheats, by like shining a light of empathy and compassion on quote cheaters unquote, you are like putting yourself in the hot seat at the same time that you're doing something really important. And it's so important because, and it as you know through the research and through the book, so many people are dealing with this and going through infidelity and wondering how to heal and wondering how to talk about this and thinking, oh, I'm supposed to end my marriage now because of this, but maybe I don't really want to. And it's it's I think it's so important to talk about this. Well, you know, when the new monogamy came out years ago, people wrote to me, mostly therapists, and said, you're supporting affairs. Why are you supporting people cheating? And and now, like— Because you have to be taking a side, Tammy. Obviously, obviously. And as a clinician, you know, I'm obviously telling my people that they should cheat. <laughs> yes. Clearly. And- <laughs> That's your, I know, we're on to you. All those shrinks are on to you. That'll cost you $400, please. <laughs> and— um, 
And now, you know, sort of the new monogamy, open relationships is old news. When that book came out, it was it was a challenge even for the oh, publisher. God. The publisher wasn't even sure that mm-hmm. they wanted to promote that. And now it's old news. And now talking about when you're the one who cheats, there's really no books out there for the cheater. Everyone's, you know, sort of focused on the person that's been cheated on and right. the victim of right. infidelity. Right. But that's only half the people that are right that are involved in half affairs. Of the, half of the population that is affected by an affair is not being spoken to right. until your book comes along. And right. it's challenging for them, too. It's very challenging. You know, and I think we don't want to talk about that because it's they're the wrongdoer. But, yeah, it's challenging. There's a lot of emotions there. Right. And how do you change the conversation around infidelity if you're leaving people out who are having affairs? Yeah. And we need to know about their motivations and their emotional reality, those, quote, cheaters, unquote. Which is cheaters. But you know what? I was just in Italy, and I noticed— of course, I'm in Italy to talk about sex and infidelity. And I noticed that there's just automatically this such a nuanced view because the prism for viewing all sexual behavior in Italy is pleasure. Mm-hmm. The prism for viewing sexual uh, behavior in the United States is not pleasure. It's um, obligation, duty, commitment, mm-hmm. guilt. guilt. Um, so... I noticed right away, and I thought of you, because I noticed that there was this ability to see from all points of, let's say, if we're talking about an undisclosed affair, people seem to have an ability, the people I talked to in the to be on all points of the triangle of an affair. They could empathize with the third. Mm-hmm. They could empathize with the, say, if we're talking about a heterosexual diet, with the wife who was, say, stepping out. And they could they could empathize with the husband uh, upon whom she was, quote, stepping out, unquote. Your book is trying to teach Americans how to think that way, Mm -hmm. I think, among other things. Yeah, to look at the whole picture, sort of a holistic viewpoint. It's like a systems perspective, which who has brought a systems perspective to infidelity? Well, and like you said, people often don't talk about the other person, too. You know, particularly in clinical work, they talk about it as like the person doesn't really exist. They're just a projection. You'd have to end the affair before you can do any work with a couple. And that doesn't really work because then then they just lie to the therapist. Oh, yeah, I ended the affair. Right. (laughs) Like you didn't end it for your wife or your husband, but you'll end it for me because I say that you have to. (laughs) You've never met me before, but yeah. You've never met me, but you have to end it. So if you are going through an affair or infidelity comes out or somebody steps out, what are the steps? What would you recommend? If you're the one who cheated or the one who's being cheated? When you're the one who cheated. Well, if you're the one who cheats. When you're the one who who cheats. cheats. Tell us. Well, first of all, so many listeners have been the one who cheated. I'm sure. I'm cheating right now. (laughs) Right. I have cheated multiple times. Me too. When I was younger, it was my... It was my way of ending a relationship. Same. It was my way of seeking excitement. It was my way of connecting. Mm-hmm. It was my mm-hmm. way of asserting myself. Mm-hmm. Cheating. Yeah. For Some many people, people cheat to stay in their marriage. And like Alicia Walker's mm-hmm. uh, study participants, right? right exactly. And the ones that you studied. Yeah. It's a workaround strategy for some people. Yeah. I mean, some sometimes it's like a wake up or break up. You know, like some people cheat and I call it a can opener to get out of their marriage to sort of as an excuse. Sometimes people cheat and they don't even know they want out until they're cheating. And then they're like, oh, 
this is like swing to branch from branch to branch kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, I always think of you when I say that. Abbreviation. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I think there's three parts of an affair. So there's the actual relationship outside, and then there's the sexual part, and then there's the dishonesty. So if you're cheating, you have to figure out, like, what's going on? Why are you doing it? Mm -hmm. And how is that affecting the relationships that you're in? Are you doing it because you want the the relationship, because they're your best friend, because it's fulfilling something in you? Or more likely, people don't look for someone to cheat with. They look to be someone with the person they're cheating with. Like, so who they are when they're with that person? Yeah. Seeing and what that brings down in them. Seeing maybe like themselves areas. through that person's eyes. Yeah. That, like, mm-hmm. idealized, sexy, mm-hmm. desirable, right? Uh, yeah, or in charge and... Or whatever it yeah, is. Never wrong or strong and... It's right. almost like you're kind of, like, reinventing yourself with another person. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. And and for whatever reason, the story you make up is that you can't be that person at home with your partner. Mm -hmm. You can only be this person with mm – and that's the power of the person with whom you're, quote, cheating, unquote, right? Yeah, and it may or may not be a true story. Mm -hmm. It may or may not. It may be true, and it may not. But at that point, you've kind of lost curiosity about what's going on in the relationship. So let's say this does come out. Mm -hmm. I feel like – I don't think that if – infidelity happens or an affair happens that you necessarily need to end the relationship. I think it could be something that opens a door, like a can opener, Mm -hmm. you know, and Mm. gets you guys to sit down and have these open, honest conversations that perhaps you didn't have or neglected or were too afraid to have or really didn't even know what to say Mm -hmm. in that that container that you're in. For, For many people, that's true. I think you have to go to a good therapist to have erotic recovery work. Mm-hmm. Because an affair is an injury to your erotic life. And mm-hmm. if you don't fix, like, the erotic part of your relationship, then that other person is always sort of still in bed with you. And then that's a problem. Mm. So how do you work with people mm-hmm. on that? Tell us about it. Well, I think the— About erotic recovery. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think the goal in a lot of books and a lot of work around affairs is always, like, you're supposed to forgive the other person. And that is not the goal. Ooh. It's not the goal. Wait a second, what? Yeah, you got to go way past, way past forgiveness, skip over that and work on your sex life. Because forgiveness is like a power thing, right? If I had the mm. affair and I ask you to forgive me, please, Wednesday, forgive me. I'm so sorry. I don't know, Tammy. Exactly. I don't know if I will forgive exactly. you. Exactly. So why would you? I got, I had the affair. I got to have the affair. I get to punish you now. And now I get the forgiveness. Mm-hmm. What do you with- have? I get to withhold my right. forgiveness and that's all I have. Oh, man. Now we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah because it's a power thing. On the days that you feel out of out of balance in that relationship, you're going to say, "I'll forgive you today." Maybe tomorrow, I'll forgive. Remember what you did? Yeah. So pass forgiveness mm-hmm. into your sex life. Yeah, and then eventually, when you have empathy, when there's empathy, then the forgiveness sort of happens organically. But both people sort of have to come to that place of not sort of they have to come to that place of empathy. And that takes a long time. It doesn't happen in the beginning. Tell how us, do you do tell that? Us how, yeah, tell us yeah. how it works mm-hmm. when they come to you for couples therapy. Mm-hmm. They need to recover from what feels to them like a betrayal. Mm-hmm. They don't have it is an a open. Betrayal. It is yeah. a. It is a betrayal, and they're they're not coming from an open marriage paradigm. Will you talk us through how you help them recover? Because mm-hmm. you said Passover forgiveness, work on the sex life, and, Tell, and empathy. So and empathy. There's three phases of the recovery. First is the crisis. There's like discovery, disclosure. You find out, oh my God, there's been 
That sounds like it must feel so bad. I just went, I just fell into a black hole thinking about that. It does. does. (laughs) It does. Is that from experience? Yeah. I mean, I've been the cheater and I've been cheated on. So like, and then it like all comes out and it really does suck. It's not fun. I do have a question with that because I think this is something that people ask about a lot is, do you want to know all the details? What happened? Where did it happen? What was it like? Who was it with? Like, what did she look like? What did he look like? Is that something that you really want to go into? Or do you not want to talk about those things? Is there more important things to talk about? Mm. Give us a little roadmap. Well, people want to be like a detective sometimes. And they want to know all the details, like how big were her boobs and how, how many times did you have sex with him? And did you do it in the back of the car? And did he come on your face? And, you know, they want certain <laughs> details. Thanks for that. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> now, now I know what to ask. <laughs> But this is the uh, details that people obsess over. Yes. You know, they want to know. They want to know. And And yet they don't. Well, the problem becomes once you know, you can't unknow it. Like Mm. you can't unring that bell. So once that picture's in your mind, you can't ever get it out of your mind. So I think what people really want to know is why. It's not so much what did you do, but why did you? Like, help how, me understand. How could you have done that to me? I thought you loved me. I thought we had a connection. Like, how could you How could you go to him and then come home and make love to me? How could you want or need somebody else mm-hmm. and need me at the same time? Uh, or These yeah. are all big questions. It's, yeah, so it's really a big question. Those little questions, those little details are never going to answer that. So it becomes like this endless well where the questions will just come endlessly and right. the answers regardless of how much the other person tells you those details is not really going to answer the why. So in that crisis phase when people are freaked out, you can't make a decision about the long-term you know potential of your relationship. And you can't necessarily answer every question because it's exhausting. But you can decide how am I going to take care of myself now? Uh, am I sleeping on the couch? Are you moving out? Who's taking care of the kids? Don't tell all your friends. Don't listen to your friends' advice. Once a cheater, always a cheater. Like, go mm-hmm. to therapy. Right. Go to therapy. Okay, so we talked about and the crisis And it's not once phase. a cheater, mm-hmm. always a cheater. Right. Just It may be. Saying that. It may yeah. be that your partner's a compulsive cheater, but we don't know that yet because mm-hmm. we're not in the second phase. And the second phase is the insight phase where you're actually in therapy and you can ask each other questions and figure out how did we get here. So it doesn't become your affair. It was our affair. Like, what happened to us? What happened to us? What was missing in our relationship that caused you to step out? Or who did you become when you were with that other person? Okay, who right. Who did you become when you were with that other person? What a great question. So good. That's such a that's such a radical reframing mm-hmm. from the, like, why did you hurt your wife? Mm-hmm. Why did you hurt your husband like that? Mm-hmm. Which your only answer is going to sound so selfish. Mm-hmm. Whereas... Who did you become with that person? Seems like it would unlock a lot of ways to connect with your primary partner. Mm -hmm. And it takes away that, you know, when you're the one who cheats, you can't ever blame your partner. You can't ever say, well, she didn't give me enough sex or he doesn't pay enough attention to me. Or even in polyamorous relationship, well, they, you know, never saw me on Thursdays. You know, like Mm -hmm. there's never a reason to blame the other person. So in that insight phase, we do a lot of therapy and a lot of communication And we don't even decide what's going to happen until the third and final phase, which is the vision. Okay, now you can decide Mm -hmm. you really want to stay together because, frankly, there's good news and bad news. The bad news is your marriage, as you know it, is over Mm -hmm. because you broke your monogamy agreement and that's it. 
But you can have a new monogamy, like you can start over with the same person, but you have to create a whole new relationship between you. You can't go back to what it was or you're going to end up here. Right. Again. Again. So that's the beginning of a new creation of a new monogamy agreement, a new decision, a new conversation. What do you want it to look like now? Right. So we should rethink the whole messy thing that we call cheating or betrayal as three things. There's a crisis moment, there's an insight moment, and there's a vision moment. And the vision, you're doing something controversial again. Oh, you're so yourself. (laughs) Because you're saying this affair could actually be an opportunity. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I know you say this, Whitney, a lot in your work as a relationship coach. You help people reframe problems, issues, betrayals. You help them reframe this as like, could this actually be a springboard? Mm -hmm. So how, I mean, does, how have you seen this affect people when you reframe it for them like this? Does it work? Do they say, fuck you? (laughs) They're like, no, it's not an opportunity. So I would be like, no, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. But maybe I'd come around. I'd probably come around. Probably like Whitney. I mean, it depends on the relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, it depends on, is this the moment that we can finally break up and get Mm -hmm. out? Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or is this a moment where we can finally become different people to each other and have a whole new understanding where we can finally, mm-hmm. like, really love each other and see each other. You know, there's a new distance between you after an affair. And, you know, you long for someone over there. Attraction happens in the space in between you. Yeah. So when, you know, someone's sitting next to you on the couch every night, not so much. <laughs> but when they've stepped out. Then <laughs> it's this crazy new attraction. Yeah. Even though you're angry and you're hurt, there's still this new, like, curiosity. Like, wow, who are you? Yeah, like, who are you? And um, I don't even know you. I don't even know and you. And I'm kind of hot you're, for you, even though new. I'm so mad. I'm so mad and I'm so it's turned like novelty on. all over say. again. It's true. <laughs> That's it's what people true. say. People say I've never been angrier at my spouse and I've never been more attracted to my spouse than in the wake of an affair. I've heard that many times. I'm sure you've heard it more than I have. How about when couples, because I've heard this before too, when there is um, an affair and the person that cheated is kind of like, doesn't want to talk about it, doesn't want to go to therapy, kind of wants to pretend that it didn't happen, Mm -hmm. keep the peace. What do you do in that instance? Well, you know, usually in the relationship, there's one person who's conflict avoidant. Mm -hmm. And that conflict avoidant person wants to create space around themselves because they don't want to fight. So they just withdraw. And whenever there's, you know, someone who wants to bring up an argument, they create space. They're like, no way. You know, I see people who are in open relationships or polyamorous relationships. And I have a a group right now who are, there's like four or five of them. And they all come in different pods. And um, (laughs) I want to be a fly on the wall. (laughs) I'm going to be there, Tammy. Well, there's one that's really conflict avoidant. So if another another one or two come in and they want to, like, confront that person, then, like, she'll get up and she'll go, I, I have to go to the ladies' room. I mean, she'll literally, like, like, leave the room. out of here. Pulling the ripcord. Yeah. That is avoidant. Yeah. Very conflict avoidant. So that makes the other people get bigger and louder and more intense. Listen they have to, to me. Pursue. See me. Listen to yeah. me. Right. And they'll create big drama mm-hmm. and crisis because they feel like they're being abandoned. Right. And that happens in all relationships. There's a pursuer and a distancer. And so if one person's being loud and intense or has an affair or does something to get a lot of attention, sometimes it's because the other person has withdrawn first. Okay. And it's like 
no, look at this over Please here. Look see at me. me. Please see me. So you've seen, you've, you're showing a lot of empathy for the person who we would just love to think is just like a bad person. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, no, there's a lot more going on here. Okay. I just have to ask like, how did the press respond to this? How did people in your life respond <laughs> to this when you said, I'm writing a book which takes a sympathetic view, asks people to step into the shoes of the person who cheats and and says that their point of view is worth considering and that we can learn from it. Not just like, fuck you, go to jail. Right. Well, it's interesting that you bring up Rome because like London and Australia responded really well. Like there was a big spread in the Sunday Times on the front cover. I remember you're beautiful. Yeah, it was yeah. really great. And this country was a little more hushed. <laughs> a little more hushed. A little more hushed. <laughs> Although Business Insider picked up a lot of it, like they, the business side understood betrayal. They understood lying. They understood oh. cheating, which I think is fascinating. Oh, hell yes, mm-hmm. they did. Yeah, mm-hmm. they really did. They found a they found a valence that yeah. was really relevant to yeah, the readers. They, they totally got it, and they totally got like all the sections in the book about why people cheat and why people lie and what to do about it and what to do when you're that person and and what integrity really means and. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. An unexpected secondary market. It the really business is. market. Yeah. A lot of people complain. <laughs> right. Yeah. A lot of people complain about the cover. They're like, you know, can you just sell me like a brown paper bag to put over the cover? It's right. kind of like the Fifty Shades of Grey thing. People don't want to read it on the train. They don't want you. They don't want to be seen with it, right? And it's hard to buy it if you're the one who cheats and have it delivered to your house. Thank mm. God for Audible. I know. That's yeah, what I said. I, I said, Seriously. buy Thank the God. Kindle. Thank God for yeah. Right. Right. But that's you've written something really powerful when people are embarrassed to be seen with it because mm-hmm. it means their attraction to it is so deep, but it's so taboo. Congratulations. I know. That is so cool. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you get this question all the time? And do you? Because I know I do. Having written about female infidelity, it was amazing to me how many people said to me, but how does your husband feel about oh, it? Oh, no. so funny. How does Aubrey feel about that? You're a relationship coach when you were with Aubrey um, in a primary relationship. I'm sure people said, well, how does he feel about you being an well, the vocal thing is, about open relationships? Or how does your that, husband feel that you write about, you know, non-monogamy, Tammy? It was easy for me because we are so open about being in a non-monogamous relationship. We constantly were talking about it, doing podcasts, like wanting to help people. So right. it was basically like went hand in hand other than being called a whore and, uh, <laughs> you know, t- them telling him, well, she's just fucking all these other dudes and blah, yeah, blah, blah. so why like, would you Whoa. allow that? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I never really got any any pushback other than just kind of like spewing hate for absolutely no reason other than misinformation. I think that counts okay. as pushback. <laughs> Yeah, that is some pushback. You know, uh, before the new monogamy, I wrote "Getting the Sex You Want," oh, and on the cover, title. Uh, yeah, there's like this hetero couple, which I wasn't crazy about, but that's what they did. And so my husband used to tell everyone that was him, <laughs> 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 and like that he, you know, had came up with all the exercises in the book. And actually, <laughs> to be fair, like we did work through all the exercises to make sure that they worked because mm-hmm. right. a lot of them are like dialogues about how to. Increase the passion and shed your Ooh, inhibitions and right, right, and um, and they do work because I know we practice them and actually we right. still do the, a lot of them. 
Oh, wait, I want to know what they are. I will. I'll give you, okay, I'll give you the best one. Getting the sex you getting want. Getting the sex you want. Yeah. Okay. Everybody but, needs yes, to check that out. And I'm going to give you one before we end. Great. But then the new monogamy, which was kind of like creating an, uh, uh, you know, some kind of monogamy agreement or healing from infidelity or whatever, people were like, wait, what happened? What you happened? had this hot, sexy relationship and then you wrote this other book? Like, what happened, Bruce? Oh, yeah. What happened yeah. with you guys? <laughs> like, is that this book about you guys too? And like, he didn't quite get the same cocktail party reception that mm-hmm. he got from the other book. Right. And right. then it was like, when you're the one who cheats, people are like, well, oh, are you guys okay? Yeah. <laughs> and then when I became bi-coastal and, and moved to LA, oh, we were right. like, what's going on people with you People could really connect those dots that yeah. actually weren't connected. Yeah, they just made up a whole bunch of stories. They made up a whole bunch of stories. Yeah. I feel like you're used to it. <laughs> I feel like you're used to people talking about you. Let them talk. Has it always been your thing? I, I can't say that it has, but I think that the people do. A lot of people talk. A lot of people make stuff up. I posted something on Instagram the other day. It said, opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. <laughs> well, you know what Brene Brown says? You know, <laughs> so many opinions. If you're not like in the arena and you're in oh, the yeah, cheap seats. Oh, yeah. If you don't seats, come into the arena, then you can't you say have anything. An opinion. Right. Exactly. You're Unless you're in seats. there like fighting with me. Right. Yeah. Then otherwise, I don't just, I'm not interested. Just, yeah, you know, go to the bathroom. Go to stay in the cheap seats. I'm right. not interested because I'm down here fighting in the arena with you guys, and in the dirt. And I'm not interested in your opinion. See, mine was like mine huh. wasn't so much what does Aubrey think or your partner think. It was more what what do your parents think? Mm. Oh, right, because your parents think of you. You're developmentally, you're still with people who that matters a right. lot, right? Mm-hmm. So I was talking about open relationships. I got into an open relationship when I was, I guess, 24. You know, and now I'm 30. And so it was just like, do your parents still talk to you? (laughs) (laughs) A big anxiety, right? That you could could lose like a really important source Mm -hmm. of social support, your family. Right. The stakes were high. Right. People wanted to know how that went for you. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was challenging. I've talked about this a lot, but it was, you know, my dad is a conservative Texas banker. Oh, jeez. But both of my parents have been married multiple times. Mm -hmm. Um. But still, they don't. So you're like, think, Dad, you actually. I, no, and I, he, we actually had this conversation, and I remember being like, Well, how many times have you been married? And he's right. like, No, you're right. I'm not a good example <laughs> by any means. It's just like, slow you know motion me, polyamory. Right. It, for me, it's like, I want to try something different. I didn't have the answer if I want, if I could do it or not. So I'm going to try this out. And really, what I, and you probably have so much advice on this as well. For me, when you go to tell somebody that what it might be challenging to tell them, it's like, hey, this is what's going on in my life and I care about you and I want us to be closer and I want you to know really who I am. And by me coming to you to tell you this information brings our relationship closer. Mm. And that's kind of how I approached it. And, you know, ever since then, they've been, they may not completely understand it by any means and that's absolutely okay, but they're there to love me and as long as I'm happy... They're happy. And that's really all I could ask for. Yeah. And I know I'm I'm blessed and lucky in that because I know a lot of people still struggle with that and and where families won't even talk to them if they're exploring polyamory or Or if they're gay. Or if they're gay or anything that's outside of the societal norm, right? It can it can really hurt a relationship, unfortunately, because we just can't open our minds up to that. I've seen so many families, speaking of this, um, I've seen so many marriages destroyed because there's an affair and then the person's family finds out and they start having opinions about it. Right. It's like, this is between these two married people. 
But I've had women say to me, like my mom, my husband and I reconciled, but my mother hates him and my father hates him. Mm -hmm. And then that creates a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. How can people negotiate it when it becomes a whole like family system issue? Mm. That's really hard. It's really hard. I think, but you see it, right? Yeah, I, mean, I do, I and I think people the create their new families and create their own families. And you know, I think gay men have been way ahead of us in a lot of that, mm-hmm. creating their own family systems. And you know, you create your family of choice. Yeah, if you don't have supportive families. It's and, so important, right, mm-hmm. to have like your community around you. Yeah, totally. It totally is. And I think, you know, that's what good therapy is, too, to find people who really listen and believe in you and support support you. And if you have a therapist that doesn't get it or that judges you or blames you for an affair or questions you or, you know, you have to school them a little too much on your lifestyle, then you need another therapist. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, we want to talk to you forever, and yet we cannot. Mm-hmm. What Let's talk about for our listeners, if you've had an affair or been affected mm-hmm. by an affair, if people want to get into therapy with you or find mm-hmm. a therapist who mm-hmm. is as good at empathy for people in this situation as you are, how do they find mm-hmm. you? Where do they find mm-hmm. you? Well, people can go to drtammynelson.com, drtammynelson.com. And for your listeners, I will send them a free gift, like oh. uh, uh, probably in a... Uh, handout of like monogamy questions, how to start a monogamy agreement oh, great. Uh, conversation oh, with your you partner. Oh, did you hear that? Awesome. If, you, if you email Tammy through her website. Let her know you heard it on the show. Mm-hmm. Mention this podcast. Yep. And I will send you a monogamy agreement questionnaire that you can start a conversation with your partner about how to have whatever kind of monogamy or open monogamy you want with your oh, partner. We get that question all the time on this show. How do I start a mm-hmm. conversation about opening up my relationship or how do I disclose that, you know, I quote cheated unquote. Mm-hmm. That is a great gift. People mm-hmm. are going to get a lot from that. Yeah, that's going to be huge. And you also have a lot of workshops and mm-hmm. classes and online resources too oh, on yeah, there as well. online yeah. classes. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I do have online classes for couples or for individuals or for therapists or people who are interested in trainings. And I also do intensives for couples all over the country. So they can go on my website, drtammynelson.com and find out. And I want to give you this last workshop, uh, this not a workshop, last exercise that I told you I would tell you. Uh, yes, a good please. sex. For good sex. Yeah. 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 So the secret to getting the sex that you want is that you always appreciate uh, the sex that you already have to get more of it. So it's like the secret of the universe. What You, you always get more of what you appreciate. Mm-hmm. So the mistake that people make is when they're trying to change their sex life is that they start to criticize or point out what's not working. So that instead of saying, I hate it when you go to the left, you say, I love it when you go to the right, basically. Right. So this is a dialogue that I give everyone. So go home and tell your partner, if you have a partner or a new partner, one thing I appreciate about you, and then have your partner say that back to you. It could be about anything. And then one thing I appreciate about our sex life, something we already do, could be something you did years ago, Mm -hmm. and then have your partner say that something back to you. And then one thing I appreciate that I would like more of, so something you're already doing, so you're building on something that's already working, Right. And then you switch. And then and only then do you share one thing I'd like to try. Mm. And remember, just because you want to try it doesn't mean you're going to get it. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you've built that foundation yeah. by saying what you like. Exactly. And what's working. Exactly. And what you appreciate. And then maybe what you want to try. 
and then you switch. And then at the end, you say, one thing I appreciated about this dialogue with you. So you always close it with an appreciation. It's a compliment sandwich. That that compliment <laughs> sandwich works, I'm going to tell you that right now. It works. Okay. I do it all the time. Everybody, sure. try it. <laughs> and email Tammy and mention our podcast. <laughs> try what she just said. Email her and get her questionnaire about how to open up your relationship or have a conversation about monogamy because it's a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. And you're going to like the guidance and find her on social media. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, like and me on Instagram. Sign up for a course. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for all the work that you do. I I love reading your stuff. Thank and you. I know it helps thousands and thousands and thousands of people out there. I love, I love all your work. And also the fun thing about you, which doesn't happen with other sex therapists that I know, is you're just a lot of fun at Skirt Club too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Let's just, mm-hmm. just Let's not forget about that. Began. She's a different, <laughs> she's a different kind of therapist. Well, the best. Thank the, you. Thank you for changing the world. The most Wednesday. fun. <laughs> we love you, Tammy. Come love back anytime. The I sooner will. the better. Yes. Thank you guys. You're awesome. Thank you. Thanks.